is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. This is part three of our interview with Josh Sturgeon from Ember Tribe. If you haven't listened to parts one and two, go back and find those. Okay, now, Ember Tribe, how old is this? Yeah, so Ember Tribe is about three and a half years at the time of this recording. Yeah, okay. Did you go to school for to become an Ember Triber, or what do you what do you call yourself? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I actually I fell into this world out of a hybrid of necessity and curiosity and interest. I graduated into the heart of the recession in mm-hmm. 2007. At the time, was also had a full load of grad school work, and so I really just needed to find ways to pay for money. Okay. And my gateway into all of this was through a dying phone book company. Uh-huh. where I was actually a door-to-door salesman. And my one job was to try to introduce this digital offering oh. to keep the company alive. And spoiler alert, the company went under. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't go you know, beyond you know, three months there. But what it did introduce me to was this idea of digital marketing, and specifically SEO or search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind that you could show up for just very specific things that you offered as a business owner. Mm-hmm. And that people could find you for those things on the web and just do business with you. Like so that just ignited a passion and excitement for this, you know, now twelve, thirteen years ago. There was no formal education for it, right? So right. it was a lot of reading blogs, like building your own website, seeing mm-hmm. what worked and what didn't work. So I did that for a while. I eventually worked for a larger agency and got to do this at like a larger scale mm-hmm. with companies like Staples and Unilever, Thermal Scientific. But then I took really learn the most when I was building a business with my wife at the time and (laughs) needed to kind of put our own money on the line Mm -hmm. and figure out what was going to be the best fit for us as a small business. And so that's where I feel like my learnings really took off because I was in the trenches, so to speak, spending my own Right. Yeah, that's kind of the genesis, I guess, of how I get into all of this. So when you were a teenager, did you say, I'm going to be in digital marketing? (laughs) No, not at all. When I was a teenager and even into college, I was very into music. Mm-hmm. I was very into the creative side of things. Sure. And so for a while too, I even... You wanted to be a rock star? I wanted to be a rock star. No, not necessarily. I was more like singer-songwriter. Okay. I also taught music too. So All I ran right. like a little music studio. I taught kids how to play guitar. And oh, cool. Yeah. So basically I was really into that, but I think that creative impulse met the reality of the real world. And I started channeling that creativity to yeah, how to make money and how to do that in a flexible way because time was constrained for me. <laughs> so there are certain people, you sound like you have entrepreneurial tendencies. Would you agree with that? How did that surface itself when you were young, really young? Yeah. I mean, so when I was really young, I was hustling. I was selling rocks at the end of my driveway. Right, okay. And selling rocks that I thought were cool. Probably call them crystals or something. Sure. Too, just out of innocence. But yeah, I... You know, then I started a handyman service when I was a kid. I, you know, look, I feel like everybody has that. I sold lemonade at the end of well, the no, story, yeah, not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a difference in wiring from what I've seen. Yeah, is, that might be. Yeah. But, so, what did you think? You we're going to be an entrepreneur, or were you going to go work for somebody? You know, what's funny is I didn't really frame it that way in my mind. Like throughout high school and throughout college, like I found ways because I was really into music. I found ways to fund my own recording and uh-huh. like, did albums and like. All of that was kind of an entrepreneurial journey sure. in and of itself. And I don't think I possessed the language yet to understand, like, no, I don't want to work for the man. I want to do uh-huh. my own thing. It was more out of a, a matter of necessity 
and circumstance mm-hmm. that I ended up, you know, working for myself in the beginning. But yeah, then later came to realize that some of my core values are to have freedom of lifestyle, mm-hmm. to have independence, to be able to have open horizons. Mm-hmm. Like, as I've gotten older and self-reflected more, I've been like, oh yeah, this has been in my DNA for mm-hmm. a long time. Right. I just couldn't really label it you know, right. back then. So what would be one piece of advice to somebody that was starting out now as sort of an entrepreneur? I know you do some mentoring. In doing mentoring, you can sometimes you can't be as honest as one might want. So we're, we're anonymizing everybody out there. Sure. But what would be your anonymous advice to people? Man, I'd say, you know, you probably have a vision in your head about, in your heart, about what this could look like. And that might be 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. I would say divide that by, you know, a thousand. Like, what's the one step that you can take now? I think the biggest mistake that I see with a lot of entrepreneurs is that they so badly want to be in business for themselves, mm-hmm. and so badly want this product to come into existence that they are afraid to see it not work. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they never start. Oh, interesting. And so they never fail. They never fail because they never start. And you see people working on a logo for six months, and you see people doing whatever, but putting off the hard thing. And the hard thing is usually talking to somebody who isn't your mom or your dad or your friend right, or right. girlfriend and getting them to give you money for the thing that you want to produce. Right. Yep. And that's not greed. That's not anything else except validation. Right. And you need to get validation for what you're trying to build. Otherwise, you're going to spend a lot of time building something that nobody wants. Right. And you might feel good about what the future might possibly be. Right. But when push comes to shove, there's no business there. Right. I've also found that when you, the entrepreneur, engages with anybody, most people don't want to hurt your feelings. It's true. And so they're going to say, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, and then if you if you shift the conversation, well, will you give me $20 right now and I'll right. deliver it for you in six months? Oh, I'd never pay $20 for that. You know, start yeah. to get to the truth of the matter. Yeah. Oh, I need to talk to my wife. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and that's the really what you want to get to. And also to have other people ask on your behalf. I have a friend who's doing this. Yeah. Until they've generated the demand for the new category. So rather than just take a preordained checklist of different marketing channels that somebody else is recommending you do and then retrofitting that to your business, Mm -hmm. it's better to kind of have an understanding of where you sit in the market, who you're trying to reach, and then prioritize your spend on marketing from there. So paid is usually a really great option to start with that because you can learn very quickly. And then you can build the content and then capture Mm -hmm. the SEO traffic over a longer period of time. But at least start with renting. It's almost like going to that customer and asking for the money now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. Like now, if it's going to work or not. Well, I think an, an important takeaway for me here is is this identification of the importance of the different channels. Yes. Because SEO isn't bad, but it's really hard to rule the world in SEO. But advertising, I can always buy an ad to my target market. Then it becomes, do I offer something that's quality? Right. Is that fair? That is fair. And I mean, I don't want to, I want to be fair and give paid the same treatment and say that you are competing in an auction, right? Mm-hmm. So to give you a very specific example, we had a client who's going up against Salesforce and Blackbaud 
in Google search mm -hmm. those paid ads. And I mean, that's expensive, man. Those guys are spending millions of dollars right. in search. And so the big innovation for that client was finding another paid channel that was underutilized at the time right. for business to business, which was Facebook. And we reduced their cost per lead by 80% by making that change. So that's interesting because both of those are very business-oriented, very C-level uh, finance-oriented products. Right. And you got to those people through Facebook? On Facebook, yeah. And when was this time frame-wise? This was, okay, so this was probably 2016 going into 17. Okay. Is that viable today? It's still viable, but there might be better alternatives depending on what you Sure. Maybe LinkedIn? LinkedIn is very expensive, but also very targeted. But here's the takeaway, though, right, is that although Facebook has now more limited business-to-business -business targeting options than mm -hmm. it did before, before they removed some of those things, what they do have is 2.5 billion people in their, in their ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. So just statistically, your audience is there. Mm -hmm. If you consider even the Internet-enabled population of the world, that's a massive market mm -hmm. share. So the chances are the person that you want to reach is probably on that platform or in that ecosystem somewhere. It's just a matter of can you get to them in the most efficient way possible. Right. It's worth a shot. My questions have always been around, will those people make buy decisions in that context? Mm. You know, it's sort of like if you're swimming, you're not interested in buying a TV. Right. You know, and it's sort of like that just doesn't make sense. Whereas if I just finished lunch, I'm not interested in looking at restaurant ads. <laughs> so I, I've never been able to understand how we go to a Facebook where I use it for figuring out how my family's doing, you know, and right. friends. And, and then all of a sudden I see something about a technology ad. Because yeah. I really, I'm a geek, you know. Those two don't jive necessarily. Yeah, I think one key distinction and strategy for using these channels is to not necessarily try to go for the sale in one click. Mm -hmm. like statistically, we know that over 95% of the people who visit your website will never return again unless you're given another opportunity to. Mm -hmm. So there's different tools that we can use to give you multiple, what we would call maybe at-bats to try to, to buy. But one major strategy, especially in the business services side, is just you know, capture attention and capture a point of contact. Yeah. So even yeah. if they're not ready at that part of their buyer's journey to, to buy from you or to even schedule a sales call, mm -hmm. they might be interested in some piece of content that you created or something else in, in exchange for an email address or some other information. So they can email them later or message them later. That's a good way to kind of lead off. Cool. Well, we've been talking with Josh Sturgeon of Ember Tribe. Where are you based? Yeah, oh, that's a good, that's a loaded question. So I'm here north of Boston, and I have a business partner who's in North Carolina. Okay. But the rest of our team of about 20 people is spread about nine different states sure. across the U.S. We're a completely distributed team. Oh, that's cool. Now, do you service clients all over the world, or do you just work in one city in Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's all over the U.S. and Canada, and some of those companies are multinational, so they'll have different locations. Cool. But for the most part, no, it's it's not constrained by location at all. And we work just like as our team works together in a remote environment. We're working virtually with a lot of these clients as well. Oh, cool. Well, there'll be ample opportunity in the show notes and links for both Josh individually and for Ember Tribe. just wanted to thank you for coming in. It sounds fascinating. It's never as simple as we want to make it. But it's also probably not as complicated, especially with a Sherpa like you guiding us through it. Yeah, it's definitely my encouragement for anybody is just start, just try. Your upside is so potentially high to transform your business in a way that you can never have imagined it's worth at least a test to run. And yeah, Paul, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. And that finishes up our podcasts with Josh Sturgeon of Ember Tribe, parts one, two, and three. You've just finished part three. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.
The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.